0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, the proverb says, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. In what world do you live and why? What guides you to? give or what clutches you to keep and be stingy. The word stingy has the root word sting. A few years back I was mowing my dad's lawn when out of nowhere I was stung by like multiple hornets in my neck and in my head. What was their reason for stinging me? I was coming close to their hive in order to protect what was theirs They used their stinger to keep any threats out and protect what was their own. They stung because they were stingy. Stinginess is a survival instinct formed from the belief that our resources are limited. If we don't hold on to our resources for ourselves, we might not survive. The pandemic a few years ago made toilet paper, remember? A matter of survival because of its limited availability. People stinging one another in the aisles of Target as they squeeze tightly to the Charmin. Do you remember that? You see stinginess from the beginning of human development, right? As young children sting other children for using their toy or for stealing mom's attention. The reason the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, according to the proverb, is because no one wants to get stung. And so we just huddle in our little hives and our little lives. But generosity, generosity operates under a completely opposite mindset. The world of the generous believes in a source of unlimited resources, Believes there is so much supply of something to go around that we can share it. Believes that no one could ever go poor by giving because there's always more to give. The world of the generous grows as people who encounter it are not repelled by a sting, but they're drawn in by the offer of something which will never run dry or run out or run low. Generosity is the key to the gospel of God's grace. Generosity is the campaign slogan of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So why are we Christians so stingy to keep the keys to the kingdom to ourselves? Do we believe there is a limit to the measure of God's grace? That if we give it away, maybe there won't be enough left for us? There could be nothing further from the truth. And Acts chapter 11 is here to be our proof of that. Proof of this, friends. The grace of God is a generous gift from God to be shared by the liberated people of God. I'll say it again. The grace of God is a generous gift from God to be shared by the liberated people of God. Acts chapter 11 is written for the people of a generous God who have become stingy. And it's my prayer as one of the shepherds of this specific people that this word from God would make us a more generous people to share the keys of the kingdom of God which have set y'all free. What do we need to know? What do we need to see? What do we need to share in order for God to make us a more generous people of grace? First, we need to know this. The giver of grace... The source has an unlimited amount of space. First, as with any good story, we need to set the context and conflict. So read with me verses 1 to 3 of Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea, which is mainly Jewish center, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice the conflict and the sting. Peter's compadres are after him. They're coming after him and stinging him because he's handing out invitations to a party. And what party is that? Circumcision party of one who was the circumcision party? These were the Jewish people who have come to believe and receive the grace of Jesus. They had believed that this table of grace, this party of pardon and forgiveness was reserved solely for the Jewish people. Handing out any open invites to unclean Gentiles is going to make a complete mess of things. And they knew the Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus, Scripture tells us. They had received the Word of God, but in their stingy, limited supply of grace mindset, receiving the Word of God, Jesus, was not the same as being welcomed into the family of God. Circumcision was necessary for that. So Peter methodically defends his actions by recalling, step by step, and scene by scene, proof that the giver of grace has unlimited space in verses 4 to 18. He Peter shows them that the giver of grace is a party of three, not a party of one. And he uses the Trinity to explain this. Look at verses 4 to 18 as we walk through it. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time, From heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. First thing I want you to notice is, where does this vision come from? It comes from heaven. The first member of the party, if you will, is the Father who sets the table for all. That great sheet is like a tablecloth of grace. The church, the wedding feast between God and his people. And who is there? Who's at the wedding feast? As Peter looks closely at the unclean and clean animals all mixed together, he refuses to dirty himself at a meal like this. And the voice of God says to him, do not limit the table to only the guests that you consider clean. The Father is setting all nations at the table, not just your own. Whenever you hear in the Word of God, especially in the New Testament, the word God, not specifically Jesus or the Spirit, the New Testament is typically speaking of the Father. And the Father starts Peter off on this journey as the one who sets the table for all. Look with me at verse 11. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. The second member of the party is the son who is saving a place for all. Timing is everything. And as this vision is drilled into Peter's mind, three times, it's almost like as he's hearing it three times, there's three knocks at the door. And Peter brings six other Jewish friends with him so that they total up seven which in the culture means that this is a credible witness, brings seven people to testify what they see God doing. And they walk into this unclean house of this man where Peter delivers a message by which you will be saved, you and all your unclean household. And that message is Jesus, the messenger. A son who saves sinners by his blood. Not just Jewish sinners, but every sinner who believes Jesus is the one to save. The son saves a place for all. And he goes on then to reveal person number three. Father, Son, and then Spirit. Verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, the circumcision party, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also. God has granted repentance that leads to life. Finally, Peter reveals the giver of grace's third member of the party, the Holy Spirit. The father sets the table, the son saves a place at the table, and the spirit opens the door to the party. As Peter is preaching, the unclean begin amening. Peter sees the Holy Spirit like pulling the wool off the eyes of these Gentiles. They see their sin. They see the Jewish Savior, Jesus. And they believe. And the Holy Spirit uses Peter's words like a key to unlock the chains of sin that bound them. This Gentile family held them in. And they start dancing around the room with their chains being gone. And as Peter's recalling the story to the circumcision party, they just become quiet which is a verb that can also mean they rested from war. And they celebrate the Father, Son, and Spirit who made this party of three, God, the Jew, and the Gentile, possible. The giver of grace has an unlimited amount of space. How does knowing this encourage us to share the gift of grace with others around us? Think think of it this way. I couldn't find an illustration, so I made one up on my own. Imagine, friends, if you can bear with me on this one. Imagine the city of Green Bay is on the massive luxury liner Titanic. The ship that man's pride boasted God couldn't even sink. All of Green Bay is on this ship. And on that ship are all of the offers of the world. Good food, mm, good entertainment, amazing views of the sunset. And on this ship are also all people's. But there's a problem. Everyone's feet on this ship is chained to the boat. The other problem is they're also blindfolded. As we all know the story of the Titanic, the massive ship is sinking to the floor of the ocean. People keep eating. "Mm, This food's so good. People keep singing along. Oh, that band, they're amazing. People keep taking selfies, blindfolded selfies of themselves, (laughs) and they can't see the waters breaking in. They didn't hear the iceberg hit the ship and starting to sink. They'd see none of that. They just keep entertaining themselves to death. And imagine you then have your blindfold taken off to see your fate, to see the waters closing in, and then you're handed a key and a life preserver unlock the shackles to get you off of the boat and jump into the huge ocean to keep you from drowning in it. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. If you've been given that key and you've been given that life preserver gift, imagine jumping into the ocean thinking, I won't tell others about the key or the life preserver because this ocean is just too small for all of us. friends the deep 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 love of the giver of grace is so vast so unmeasured so boundless so freely given to us we have no right we have no reason to be stingy with our words or our witness the father loved us undeserving to the table The Father generously poured out His life-giving Son to save us a place at the table. And the Spirit opened our eyes, took off our blindfolds to see both our helplessness and our life preserver, Jesus. Why are we believing that the ocean of God's love is too small to share and we keep it to ourselves? The giver of grace has an unlimited amount of space. Why did you go into that home, Peter? They were asking him because it was on fire. And there were people asking how to get out. Why would I not tell them? Why would we not open our mouths as well? Every believer here is here because the party of three, the Trinity, led Peter to see the table as set for all, to see Jesus as Savior of all, and listen to the Spirit who opened the door to all. Peter opened his mouth. That's why we're sitting here. But Acts 11 doesn't leave us there. There is unlimited space in this ocean of God's love. But also we have to see the generous reach of God's grace. Look with me at verse 19 as we continue on through the passage. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. The generous reach of God's grace doesn't limit us to our comfort zones. See in verse 19, God using something like suffering and persecution to move people of God outside of their comfort zones, which for them was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a safe space for them, but now no longer as a Jew who believed in Jesus. It was a dangerous place now. And God's reach of grace uses hardships and sufferings and difficulties to move us out. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, that's Greek speaking Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch to see what was going on. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Where is the generous reach of God's grace unlocking chains and throwing life preservers, friends? Among the people who are preaching Jesus, not just to each other. Not in their own comfort zones, but outside their comfort zones. They're speaking in multicultural tones. They're preaching to the Greek speaker. The hand of the Lord was with them, it says. Unlocking chains and setting people free. That expression, hand of the Lord, has to do with power, influence, authority, control over these multicultural preachers. These men are not limiting their preaching to the people who look like them or who talk like them. They are adapting their message to another audience who is different from them. And again, the Jerusalem church is confused. Why? Because they're thinking, what happened with Peter, with this whole Gentile thing? It was maybe just a fluke. But the generous giver of grace who has unlimited space has no concern about race. Barnabas, one of the most faithful and encouraging men in the Bible, is sent to investigate. And when he comes and he sees the grace of God, what does he do? Does he go back to Jerusalem? Let's just applaud them from a distance of what God's doing. Wow, look what's happening in Antioch. Bravo, keep it up. Keep it up. We'll stay here. Keep it up. No! He stays where God's hand is moving. He stays in Antioch and he brings in reinforcements. Saul from Tarsus to build upon the generous grace that's been given and shown. Verse 26 marks a change of scenery for the church of Jesus Christ. Hear this in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Not in Jerusalem were people first called Christians. In Antioch, in a non-Jewish Greek-speaking sector of the ancient Near East. Church is changing here people were divided at that time into two categories, Jew and Gentile. But here in Antioch, people are living as if they're not their own. And it's so confusing to the people. This isn't a Jew, this isn't a Gentile. What do we call them? And it's not a good term. It's a derogatory term, but they call them Christian. The word Christian in the original language has a connotation of ownership and control and power. A Roman belonged to Rome A Christian belonged to Christ. If we belong to Christ and his kingdom, then friends, this world is not our home. They don't know what to do with us. They don't even know how to name us. So we need to stop living in our comfort zones of keeping among our own in little Jerusalem. This is the way of Christ. This is the way, Mandalorian. He left his comfort zone with the Father to take on this new culture tone of wearing human skin, Jesus did. He wore human skin. He left his comfort zone. He he spoke a human language instead of a heavenly language. He said, I want to understand what it feels like to be human, to suffer and to face death. If our church is not willing to do the same, friends, warning, then we will fade into the background like the Jerusalem church did. But if we're willing to get out of our comfort zones... And step into cultures and stories and situations not like ours. Then the hand of the Lord will be with us. And the Lord's slaves is what people will call us. Reach across to other tables beyond this one. Be a guest at other people's tables. Be the minority. Learn their language. Understand a world not your own. Love like Christ's reach on the cross. As far as the east is from the west. The generous reach of grace goes. Lastly, as we know there's a generous giver of grace. And as we practice the generous reach of grace, let us share the generous generous portions of grace. Final verses of Acts 11, verse 27. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. God, we thank you for your word. These last verses are just so ironic to me. So ironic. Because the chapter starts with the circumcision party of one criticizing Peter for eating with the Gentiles. Right? Eating. And the chapter ends with the Gentiles sharing their food with the circumcision party. A famine is predicted and the church in Antioch, everyone according to their ability, meaning according to their resources, to their gift set, all of that, sends relief to the brothers living in the Jewish country. Barnabas and Saul show the Jerusalem church what a generous gospel looks like, loving those you consider to be unlovely, loving enemies even. Barnabas and Saul put into the hands of the elders in Jerusalem, I love that picture, church money and food from a growing Gentile congregation. How humbling and how convicting for the prideful circumcision party. Eventually, I think this will be the American church. We're becoming the mission field of other nations' prosperity. The American church might be like the Jerusalem church and starting to fade into non-existence, fading from view. Doesn't have to be. We can give up being so stingy with my time, my agenda, my rights. We can begin to give our stuff away, give ourselves away. Why? Because we've been given heaping, heaping, heaping portions of grace. Jesus has forgiven our past, present, future sins, sins too numerable to even keep track of if we've been shown such an unlimited love and forgiveness by Christ to pour his never-ending fountain of blood and water on us so that we could have endless amounts of riches that will never run out, then why are we hanging on so tightly to our stuff, our schedules, our savings accounts? Let's share relief with our enemies. The people who've treated us poorly, let's love them richly. The people who've cast us out, let's welcome them in. The people who consider us fools, let's love them faithfully. Generosity is what grace is all about. I'll close with this in the stories of survivors of Nazi death camps. An attitude of giving and generosity was one of the things that distinguished the survivors from those who died. If a prisoner was on the verge of starvation, but he had a crust of bread or a scrap of potato, that he could share with his comrade in suffering. He was psychologically and spiritually capable of surviving. A survivor of a concentration camp described it this way. In our group, we shared everything. And the moment one of the group ate something without sharing it, we knew it was the beginning of the end for them. Let's look like Jesus generous generous Jesus of whom this short poem was written there was a man some called him bad but the more he gave the more he had let's pray Do your work in us, Lord, we pray.